Want to tell your employees or clients how much you appreciate them? Stand out from the competition with the best gift ever. Minky Couture Luxury Blankets are the best gift ever for appreciation and recognition to say thank you every day of the year for a job well done. For every member of your team, share your warmth. Show them you care with Minky Couture Luxury Blankets, the best gift ever. Shop now at softminkyblankets.com. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. (laughs) Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. What determines the type of person that you will become? Is that determined by who raises you? The environment that you're in? Are you born like that? Lots of interesting questions and many more that I discuss with my guest, second time guest, Dr. Dora Wolf. We discuss also attachment drama, disagreements on basic facts, and the future of human behavior. Enjoy the conversation I had with Dr. Dora Wolf. Well, we are back. Dora, it's your second time on, and I'm really pumped that you're back with us. So thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me back. Well, it was a good time last time speaking with you and learning about what you're up to. And and these are certainly different times since the last time. Yes, uh, quite a bit has changed for sure. So tell me a little bit about how this whole change in our, our living through this pandemic has affected your practice and just your lifestyle. Um, well, I think surprisingly enough, um, I, things haven't changed that much for me. Um, I think by way of my practice, they've changed a bit because we've gone virtually, um, which I think you and I had actually discussed last time. I we had did. been quite hesitant to do <laughs> <laughs> um, because it just it felt like you know it was just a new modality for me, and I wasn't quite sure that it would be as effective. Um, and, uh, the universe sort of, uh, forced my hand here. So I didn't have a choice and, and ended up now doing these virtual sessions, which it is a different, uh, you know, modality. The dynamic is different. Um, I think fortunately for me, the patients that I'm currently seeing are are longer term patients. So the, um, I think the relationship is already there. Um, And so this dynamic hasn't seemed so abrupt. I don't know what it would be like. I I have yet to start with a new patient in this modality. So I don't know what that would be like. Um, But in talking with colleagues, um, you know, most are doing just fine. And uh, I think we're all feeling really blessed that we have uh, social media now and these new platforms because it's really helping us stay connected uh, where otherwise we would be quite disconnected from each other. Yeah, and, it's interesting. Um, go ahead, go for it. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
no, that's okay. I was just going to the second part of the question, which was kind of personally. And um, it hasn't really affected me so much personally because I'm kind of a homebody anyway. Um, so kind of staying at home and, and being feeling kind of centered and grounded, uh, you know, in my house is, is already within my comfort zone. And um, I'm here with my daughter and she's adjusted quite well. They're doing the online schooling and what have you. Uh, and so, you know, having the time to be with her and, and feeling really fortunate and grateful that I can still run my business. Um, you know, we have fared very well in all of this, where I know it's been a lot more challenging for a lot of other people. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned about um, having long-term uh, patients, clients, and and that thing with that, because I noticed when I did my live virtual personal training service several years ago when I started it, uh, it was all of the people that I had worked with for many, many years starting out. And so, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal to move to it. And, you know, they wanted to keep the relationship going. And then in the past year, I've had several new people and I was wondering how that would go, but it's been pretty good, honestly. I think more yeah. and more people are just getting used to being online. It's just becoming, it's a larger conversation about how we are growing with our technology. And I think there's other larger conversations beyond that with people in the tech world and beyond futurists of who believe that our, we're eventually merging with these technologies down the road. And something like this forces you to think like, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very strange, very different, um, very much outside of my comfort zone. So it has been a huge um, adjustment for me in that way. Um, but I think it's like everything else, you know, there's always going to be the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. And um, I hope to, to use it, you know, for the good and um, still be able to have some, some normalcy, like, you know, back in the day before we had all this back in and, the day. you know, not forget back in the day. Yeah. As my daughter says, you know, in the old days. Oh, um, so old, being yeah. able to just, yeah, right. Exactly. Just being able to, uh, you know, to be together. We, um, uh, it's been surprising to me that one of the things people have struggled most with, um, is just being, we really live in a society where there's so much doing, um, and there's so much value placed on that constant go, 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 whether we're working or our kids are at school or our kids are in, you know, 25 different activities that all of a sudden those things come to a crashing halt. Um, and people, many people have really felt at a loss. Um, and I think that if the, the biggest gift I think we can take from this is simply learning how to be. Uh, with ourselves, learning how to just be with each other, with our children, without always this pressure to do. Uh, and I really think we've kind of lost a lot of that in, in this day and age. So what's interesting also about that is there, at least I know in, in general wellness, there has been, there, but before this happened, there was certainly a movement or an awakening um, and I think we may have touched on this slightly before in our talk about that people are kind of waking up to being well, being present. Um, mm -hmm. And I would have never a guessed, have guessed that something would have happened to accelerate that. 
so quickly. Yeah. And yeah, that people absolutely. would struggle, even though they want it, they're struggling with it. Yes. Um, you know, absolutely. Because I think that there is, there's something about that idea, I think, of just slowing down, um, just being okay, centered, grounded um, in, in nothing uh, that people feel um, somehow inadequate with. You know, we live in a, a society where there's a lot of pressure to do and to accomplish. And I think that what people were starting to learn is that that a that was taking its toll on our health, on our relationships, um, you know, just on our, our overall sense of being. Um, and I also think that uh, what we started to learn was that when we practice some of that, when we put some of that into motion, this idea of mindfulness, of presence, of grounding ourselves, we actually became a lot more effective and productive in those other areas of our life. And we were actually safeguarding our health um, and fostering our relationships. And so I think we were starting to get there. I think a lot of people were starting to kind of jump on that bandwagon. And and now we have come to this space where it's like, okay, um, you know, now we're really forced into this situation and how well are we going to do that? Um, I hope that as people kind of have, uh, maybe started to find their grounding a little bit again in all of this and have recognized that there are many things that are outside of our control right now um, that they do take the opportunity to uh, make use of this time and to really kind of uh, develop their own new normal that hopefully will be a lot more productive and adaptive for them moving forward. And that's great advice. One thing I wanted to I just popped up like, how do you see kind of the stages of this with people? So in a sense, like, how would you direct somebody to say, hey, this is this is what you might be feeling as things go along? So there's the initial of like, hey, you need to stay at home. And then the next aspect of like, this is going to last longer than we thought. And then this could be a, a very permanent change in life in some ways. How do you direct people through how they're feeling through that? Like what's okay to feel? What should they be feeling potentially? Things like that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, first of all, I think no feelings are wrong. We're all in, you know, titled to feel how we feel. And um, I don't necessarily think there should be anything we should be feeling. I think people are coming at this from a lot of different um, aspects. There are those of us, I think, who um, are fortunate that we are in a space where we are healthy, our family members are healthy, we are able to stay at home, we are able to still stay uh, financially productive. And so uh, we're kind of in the, the best uh, space. And I think that there's the other end of the continuum where people have already lost family members or, you know, they themselves are sick or they have to, they're financially devastated by uh, this abrupt change in things. And so there's really, I think, a whole continuum of, of what's been happening. But I think um, uh, reactions to this, there's going to be uh, anxiety that's produced and people feeling a lot more stressful just because we don't, as human beings, do particularly well with change. Uh, and this has been uh, a, a very sudden and abrupt change for all of us. And I think that, um, again, the best thing that we can do is focus on, again, what we can control and what's outside of our control. 
stay informed without overwhelming ourselves with the news. You know, that's another thing with social media. You can have access to uh, the news 24 hours a day. And there's so much conflicting information out there that I think it ends up uh, perpetuating a lot of anxiety for people. So, you know, the idea of, again, focusing on gratitude, because no matter what you are going through right now, there's something you can be grateful for in all of this. Um, And, uh, you know, working on staying connected with people. Uh, Again, a great use of social media, because we can still call people or FaceTime people or be involved in groups. Um, If you are feeling overwhelmed, uh, many people have already been experiencing depression or anxiety or some kind mm-hmm. of uh, psychological issue. The good news, again, is that you still have access to help. That hasn't changed. Um, you can go through your insurance company. You can go through your PCP. Maybe there's a therapist you've already been seeing. And you still have access uh, to mental health care and being able to talk to people about whatever you're going through. So I do think we're in this for the long haul. We're in this acute phase right now that we, we are kind of grasping at how long is this going to last. Um, but then there's going to be, you know, months and even years down the road that we're still going to be impacted by all of this. And so it's the idea of, um, again, recognizing it and uh, figuring out how to find your footing in it. Um, and allowing yourself to know that life is going to change and that's going to be okay. Um, you know, you're going to have the support around you. You can um, define, uh, you know, how you want life to look. It doesn't have to all be bad. Um, you know, we can take this time to kind of figure out what is going to be best for each and every one of us moving forward. Yeah, that's well said. Very well said. I think coming to grips with the long nature of this is where I've seen that it is my observations with some people I know. And just generally is that, because I think in the beginning, you know, we're a, a country of people, especially, or maybe a world is like, okay, we're going to do this a couple of weeks and, you know, wham, bam, we'll be good. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're mm-hmm. used to. We used to stuff happening quickly and it's gone. Yep. And it's hard to recognize that something will be more cemented in our lives in a long-term way because we're not exposed to that in a lot of ways. It's an Amazon Prime Now mentality, you know? Yes, you know, absolutely for sure. And I mean, I think we still see it now because we still um, we still see people not taking it seriously. Um, yeah. And I think it took a long time for it to sink in for many people. Um, and there's still many people who are in denial for, I'm sure, a myriad of reasons. Um, but I, I think as a country, we, um, we st- I certainly have never been any, it, through anything like this in my lifetime. And, you know, when things like this have happened, it's always been over there. Um, and I yeah. think we did sort of develop this sense of invincibility. I mean, even though we've gone through things like, you know, like 9-11, we've gone through hurricanes and things of that nature. But it's been sort of that... Um, uh, you forget along the way and all of a sudden you feel invincible again. And, um, you know, this time, this is the first, I'm sure, of much more of this to come. I think that's the reality of the situation. So hopefully we can learn from this and say, okay, how do we prepare ourselves knowing that we're not so invincible, um, but we can get through this and we will get through this. What do you what do you think it is about our behavior as human beings that 
from what I'm seeing is a lot of what, like you said, different people or states are responding differently or slower. What is it about our reactive nature versus, well, let me, you know what, I've, I've watched a lot of uh, documentaries and read a lot of articles, and this was before this. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I remember watching a documentary about a pandemic in 2005 that predicted what was going to happen now. And yeah. it's, oh yeah, it's going to be yeah. this type of thing. It's going to come in. What is it about our behavior as human beings where we may know something is a heavy possibility, but we're not very responsive in terms of like the proactive nature of, of, of dealing with it before it happens on some level, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's, it's, um, I think it's pretty multi-layered, uh, when you're talking about, um, uh, you know, things of that nature. And I think something this big, I, I think it, it's also a leadership sort of thing. I mean, you have many different leaders who have very different opinions about things. And um, there's been a whole issue in our country with just sort of trust, trust in the government, um, you know, and trust in terms of trust in leadership. And um, I think when you have people at the top who are saying it's not a big deal or it won't happen, um, and you even have uh, people within states, whether it's mayors and governors that are kind of handling situations differently and undermining each other, um, it becomes, I think, very confusing for people. And I think, you know, we don't, we don't want to believe. And I think that we can, we can basically talk ourselves into or talk ourselves out of damn near anything. And um, I, I think, again, in this sort of situation, we don't, we don't want to believe it would happen. And I think if you've never had something like this happen before in your life, um, it's very easy to just think that we're safe. Um, and that, you know, again, not us, it, it's not going to happen to us. And um, uh, unfortunately, this has been a real eye opener for everybody. And, you know, you do have people and there have been people around for years saying this, this, this is going to happen. Um, but I think that again, it's, it's people not wanting to believe, uh, you know, there's, there's safety in that sense of invincibility and, uh, denial can go a very long way. What is it? What is the denial? I've heard that several times now in our conversation. Yeah. What does that come from? Like, what is the kind of basis in our psyche about denying things that we know to be maybe true or relevant, or we need to pay attention to? What is that about? Well, I, I think that um, a big part of that comes from this idea of vulnerability. And nobody likes to feel vulnerable, right? That is, that's a lot of discomfort. And I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with living in a society where we're constantly doing and achieving versus just mm -hmm. being. Um, because I think when we are comfortable being with ourselves, it allows an openness and space to deal with our emotions, including things like vulnerability and learning how to deal in that space versus, again, blocking and denying and just doing. Um, you know, to feel vulnerable makes us feel exposed. Um, it creates a lot of discomfort. And so one of the ways that we rectify that is we deny it, right? We suppress that emotion. We move away from it. Um, we don't ground within ourselves 
we're out there just kind of doing, uh, you know, a hundred things a day as distractions. And so, um, you know, it's easy to deny things that we don't feel uh, psychologically, emotionally, mentally prepared for because we don't know how to sit with that vulnerability. You think that also, I mean, I feel like it's such a perpetual theme, though, in our lives. Like, Mm -hmm. I often wonder, like, we keep talking about this, (laughs) you know, I'm like, yeah, how is how do we get there to be a larger wave of change in that you know it's like i see like if i admit i'm wrong in something oh you know what i blew that i messed up on that i always find that Mm -hmm. it's not as scathing as people think it is like in many ways people go oh you know what i like that you admitted you were wrong that's cool i did like the the ceo of zoom just came out and said man i messed up bad guys you know with uh the you know the whole lack of security protection and it seems like it's been fairly positive. Like, oh, he owned up to it. That's great. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. there's like a large section of people just, even though you see that that people may react positively positively to it, they still deny it. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's weird. I don't know how to create the larger change in that, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with, again, if if we can if we can kind of bring forth this movement of people with this idea of presence and this idea of being mindful and this idea of being comfortable within ourselves and this idea of being connected to each other, uh, it makes things like vulnerability feel a lot less scary. Um, And, you know, this idea of having good role models, good leaders, good people who are able to also uh, model that. And so I think, you know, with, as parents, we model that for our children as friends and colleagues, we model that for each other and hopefully are connected to people, like-minded people who uh, reinforce that in each other. And, um, you know, I can't speak for, uh, you know, the larger entities, but I think that uh, it's, it's one of those things that we can start doing in our own lives. You know, it starts at home, basically. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm hoping that when people, all of a sudden, like life has come to a crashing halt. And we can either catastrophize it and we can kind of sit and worry and we can uh, stress ourselves out and do all those things, or we can really foster this incredible uh, mind shift and learn how to deal with ourselves first and foremost, and then our children and our spouses and our families and our colleagues and then kind of the world at large fundamentally in a different way. Yeah, no, I I think it does start individually. What is very interesting when you come across things where I think this has kind of been a weird thing about our current age is like where somebody is told something that's factual and then they still don't believe it or they say, oh, that's Mm. not true. I I think that's literally one of the strangest things I've ever seen is when people go, oh, no, this is like a basic factual tenet, whatever it may be. No, that's not true. Or if they said something and you know, everything is on like video camp or recorded and stuff. Oh, I didn't say that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like what is the denial in the face of factual evidence? I don't understand that behavior. It's, you know, it, it, I was just having this conversation. Um, It's kind of funny that you bring that up, but it's, it's the idea that it really psychologically developmentally, it's a very immature, uh, 
thinking paradigm. It's, it's, it's the equivalent, right, of the, the four-year-old that is sitting across the table from you and they spill their milk and then they say, I didn't do it. <laughs> right. And, and you're like, but like it, I saw, I just it, saw you and do like, it. It wasn't me. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and again, it's just sort of denying that reality as if because that's what they want it to be, that's how you will see it as well. Um, and I think that that becomes, you know, that's very, that can be actually quite dangerous because I think when people are in that situation, especially when other people then believe that, um, that, that should know better, right? It's like you, you're handing over your power and, um, then you become blindly obedient to people who choose to skew reality. Um, and I think that. (laughs) it's exact it's we were just having this conversation as well that's exactly what that mentality is um that is how these cults derive that is the exact thinking um and it it really kind of is based off of first and foremost this this psychological immaturity this developmental immaturity um and then people being able to uh, manipulate that. And we see a lot of people with things like, um, you know, narcissistic personality. And we see people with sociopathic tendencies who really know how to uh, manipulate people who are quite vulnerable and feeling powerless and are more than happy to hand over their power to somebody who just seems kind of larger than life. Um, and reality can very easily get distorted in that situation. And, um, you know, we see it happen over and over in various settings. How do you get someone to admit that the milk was spilled? Like, I mean, like to see it for what it is, you know, as one example, how do you, someone says, I didn't say that. No, I have proof that you said that. There's a video of you saying that you said this. I didn't say that. How do you get somebody out of the mindset to actually accept that it's them? saying these things or doing these things? Yeah. That's like the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) because I think, (laughs) I think it becomes, uh, you know, it's very deep seated because, um, there's a lot of ways that these things sort of develop. And I think when, when you're talking about, you know, the four-year-old that's doing it, obviously, um, through the context of their relationship with their parents and their brain developing and all of these kind of things, they move out of that phase. And I think for whatever reason, when somebody doesn't, and it kind of goes back to things like trauma and attachment issues and, you know, things of that nature, Mm -hmm. um, by the time they are full grown adults, and now we are seeing things like a narcissistic personality, or we're seeing like sociopathy coming out of people. It's a very difficult uh, thing to be able to get out of. Um, I think that, you know, first of all, if you come across those people, what you want to do is avoid them. (laughs) And secondly, (laughs) uh, you know, those people are typically the last to get into therapy because they don't think anything's wrong with them, right? Everybody else has the problem and they have enough people that they have manipulated to foster this delusional kind of thinking. Um, and so that's where it becomes really dangerous and it becomes really problematic. And so if we happen upon somebody like that in a therapy setting, it's typically because something else brings them into therapy. Maybe they're depressed, you know, or they have uh, developed panic disorder or something of that nature. And then um, if we get them to kind of commit into therapy and we see these larger, we call them access to issues or these personality issues, 
mm-hmm. um, that is uh, typically very long-term therapy if we can keep them in that long um, because you're talking about really uh, challenging and changing these really ingrained personality constructs. Um, and you know, that really is no easy task. That's, that's almost for many people kind of an indefinite challenge that they end up working on. But if you can get to the root of, oh, for sure. If you can get to the root of where that originated, um, which again, will undoubtedly go back to some kind of trauma, some kind of early, uh, you know, attachment sort of issue, then we might be able to get, you know, some work done. But the biggest issue is that people like that typically do not end up seeking help. I see. I see. I just, I'm almost just like fascinated with that because I think, again, this goes back to technology. You know, we're having a discussion about technology and virtuals and, and this pandemic. And I think I'm like, wait a minute. It feels like the technology is correct. is like taking away, um, this, this filler of, I don't know, because like, I mean, like I grew up in the eighties and like, man, you know, you could lie about stuff and nobody would ever know. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's not like everybody's videotaping each other and, you know, recording all this stuff. So I'm like, okay, now it's like, it's very difficult to hide in the dark because there's so much light of technology and everybody's videotaping everything and cars videotape things now. And, you know, it catches like, it's so like, I have a Tesla and I have the sentry mode thing of like, somebody tried to rob my car, it would videotape them. It would say, you did that. And I just think it's weird if somebody goes, I, that was not me. I did not do that. Right. I've been like, no, no, it's yep. you. Like, you know, like, right. Right. Yeah. But then we're at the cusp of technology changing through things like deep fakes where you can take somebody and put them in a video. I mean, high level stuff, people doing it, uh, that looks like that person, or you could take somebody's voice. They could take my voice from this podcast and make me say something that I would never have said. And it sounds like me, you know? Yes. So we're at this yes. weird intersection yeah. of like, yeah, okay, this is telling you there's evidence. And then the murkiness as well that can be created through the new technology as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and then it becomes extremely dangerous, you know, where, where something is, is absolutely very real and yet it's not. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what the end result of that is going to be. I think that first and foremost, um, what we need, and this goes back to, again, the conversation we were having about, um, you know, being present with ourselves, knowing ourselves, trusting ourselves, being connected to other people. Um, even now with all of the information we have out there, all of these different, you know, biases and opinions and what have you. I think it's no different if it's on the news or even I tell patients when you go see um, a a doctor of any kind, you know, people are going to have different opinions regarding things. And, And you know yourself. And from that, you develop a sense of who you can trust um, and what makes sense to you. And I think that if you have that barometer within you and a good sense of yourself, um, it helps you navigate everything outside of yourself um, to know how to make sense of the world. And when you don't have that, uh, you are very, you can be very easily manipulated and very easily fooled into whatever somebody's trying to sell you. 
Welcome to the intermission. Have you ever been pulled into something? Like really pulled into it? And you weren't quite sure if it was real or not? If the things you were told were actual reality of what's a basic fact about the world? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But if you have been pulled in there, is it time for you to question what that reality is? Reality is very tricky. There could be many versions of it from many different people. But there also are many facts in life. Will you deny those? Or will you accept them? That's for you to know. Is there too much information out there in your mind? Is there too much information? Well, for me, who is very uh, easily overloaded uh, with things, I would say absolutely. Uh, You know, I think that, um, again, going back, I grew up in the 80s as well, and life was very different. And so, you know, you talk to your kids now and you say, you know, we had like three television stations (laughs) and, you know, you, you had to watch things when they were on TV. Yes. Um, You know, there weren't, if you wanted a rerun, you had to wait till the summer. Like you either watched the program or you missed it. Right. And you just missed it. Ended. Right. Yeah. You know, like it was midnight, right. And the flag would come on and then all the static and. (laughs) Uh, you know, like it was done, like you, you could not have any more input from the media at a certain point. And I don't think we could have come any further away from that. I mean, now you are inundated literally every second, 24 hours a day. Um, And so, uh, yes, I, I think that from a personal perspective, from a psychological perspective, and just from a neurophysiological perspective in terms of how the brain works, um, we, there's too much stimulus coming in. And I think that's where we have to have personal responsibility in terms of knowing when to turn it off um, and being good role models for our kids and helping them navigate through it because, you know, they're faced with the same, the same stuff. They can be on uh, media and all kinds of electronics 24 hours a day as well. Um, and, you know, that does, we, we know that that does not do uh, us any good, having that much input. Uh, for that many hours a day. Um, You know, we have good, hard, concrete evidence to say that's not good. And so it's the idea of, you know, how do we navigate through all of that? It's interesting. I liken it to, maybe this is a bad example, but I just always think about this. It's like whenever I would go to a restaurant and the restaurant had like, you know, 10 pages of menu, of a menu. It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's like, and then- Mm -hmm. You just, you just default to what you think you would like. So, and then if you go there many times, you just end up getting the same thing over and over again. There's just too many things on here to think about, you know? Yeah. And I think that life is a lot like that. And I, I've kind of, one of my big pet peeves, not kind of, is a pet, pet peeve of mine is like, we have all this access through texting and messaging and different social platforms and all these things. And and my observation, people have gotten so much worse at getting back to people. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. 
it is, and you're like, wait a minute, but you're getting this information. Like you can get it in so many different ways. You can respond to it in so many different ways. And I think we have too many portals of access to information to respond and send that way. I think we get paralyzed and then we just basically prioritize down to what I need to actually respond to. That's important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that it's, it's that combination of, again, people have 72 different ways of contacting each other through all these different modalities. And then, and it's also this idea that I always have access to you. Um, it kind of goes back to the, you know, television where like you, you had to yeah. go watch the program or you were going to miss it. Um, and when I think that, you know, I can, I can text you or I can email you or I can, you know, do whatever 24 hours a day, then all of a sudden, um, you know, things sort of, we, we lack that responsiveness and we're overwhelmed with it. We don't know how to prioritize it. And we always feel like we can just sort of get to it because we can do it whenever now. Um, and again, I, I don't think it, it serves us well, um, just in terms of managing our lifestyles. Uh, I know that even with myself, I, I mean, I get hundreds of emails every day and, and sometimes I'm like, where are they all coming from? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and then people say to me, why haven't you responded to my email? And I'm like, where is like, I I'm on 126 and you must be like 227 and I just haven't gotten to you yet. And then you realize that, you know, from whatever you're on all these mailing lists and, you know, it's like receiving the, the junk mail, like I, between my email inbox and my actual mailbox, the amount of junk mail I get is just, it's mind blowing. It's staggering. And yeah. absolutely. And so trying to, you know, clear that all out and then you have to take the time, you know, get me off your list and unsubscribe me and, you know, do all those kind of things. And I think it just gets very overwhelming for people. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, I think people are managing the best that they can. Um, but, uh, I mean, we can all do better. And I think, again, this sort of a downshift that we have right now gives us all a chance to kind of take a step back and examine how we've been living our lives and see where, where we can make those improvements. Because, you know, you talk to many people, they do many polls. Um, there's a significant amount of people who aren't feeling very happy with their lives. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that we can, we can create a shift and what's and the number on that. Do you to, have a percentage on that? Oh. You know, I don't, um, not off the top of my head. I know I have it written down somewhere because I'm like, mm -hmm. this is a really important thing I think to know. Um, but you know, it's, it's a fair amount of, you know, people that you talk to them and they are feeling disconnected. They are feeling disgruntled um, and they are kind of feeling uh, in general, just a sense of discontent. And I think a lot of that has to just do with how we're living our lives. And so if we can, again, take out of this uh, a shift in that, we need to be connected again. We need to be connected to ourselves. We need to be connected to each other. Um, and, you know, not through this sort of mass email, um, but, you know, that real general, genuine sense of, thoughtfulness, you know, how are you? And, you know, having conversations. And I think we, we miss out on that a lot. You know, you, uh, I think many people don't see that a lot in their own lives. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, in my time networking over the past decade or so, I've, I always have these, you know, I, I love human behavior and studying it and, you know, it's the basis of a lot of my education. 
And I'm always kind of dumbfounded by how few people are doing, like are networking in a way that feels meaningful to them. Or if I talk to them, there's just a lot of problems. Like, that's why I was asking about the percentage, because I'm like, man, if I look at everybody I've talked to over, over well over a decade, there's, there's definitely certainly a lot of issues going on with a lot of people, like tremendously, deeply scarred mm-hmm. issues. And it feels Absolutely. very common to me, extremely common. I would say the the opposite is very rare in my that I have come across over time. Um, and these are these are wonderful. They're all wonderful people that I meet. Mm-hmm. It's just the amount of. I told my wife this the other day. I'm like, man, I experienced so many people that have lost tremendous depths of depression and anxiety. Like it's like everywhere. Like it's mm-hmm. it feels more common than not. You know. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we are seeing this. The one thing we do know is that we are, people are feeling really more disconnected from each other now than at any time before in history. And, you know, it's such a, a, a contrast to this idea that we're all so connected, right? And, and yeah. uh, through all of these modalities, but it's really taken away that, that human connection. And I think it goes back to even the networking too. I think we've all experienced it and you do, do see some of this. I know that I certainly have seen it on LinkedIn where people are genuinely trying to connect. I think there's still an overwhelming amount of, you know, people doing this sort of superficial surface, um, how are you doing conversation? And you're just waiting for the pitch, um, you know, for whatever they're trying (laughs) to sell you or, you know, get you invested in versus people that are just like, you don't even really know what they do. They're just like, you know, Hey, I think you're kind of interesting and, you know, let me get to know you. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that present themselves on LinkedIn that way as well. And we know that there's a need for it because I've watched those people and they do very well on that platform. Um, and yet again, I think it's so ingrained in us that people just sort of know again, do, do, do sell, sell, sell. Um, that people are still kind of relying on this stuff that we know um, works some of the time, certainly, but is is not the best way to connect to other people and, and ultimately isn't going to get you as far as you'd like to go. And it's probably going to get you feeling very rejected and, um, you know, lonely and um, as opposed to feeling kind of fulfilled and genu- genuinely connected with other people. So this is a big question. I mean, it's hard to answer, I would say, but I like to answer, ask weird things sometimes. <laughs> think of like, <laughs> what's the future of human behavior? Like, oh. based off of what we're going through right now, what's the future of our behavior? Oh, boy. Um, well, I like to believe that I am sort of a, a eternal optimist. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. I, I hope that, you know, this has all, again, we can take something positive out of this. I think that we have, we have gone so far right now, and I know technology is going to continue to evolve and things are going to continue to sort of move in that direction. And we're talking about artificial intelligence and sort of all of these things that are coming to the forefront. But, and again, I think that really good things can come out of those modalities, but they cannot be at the expense of just our our basic humanness and our basic need to connect as human beings and to relate as human beings. And so I'm hoping 
that again, when, when we're just talking about, you know, all of this 24 hour news coverage, and we're talking about all these different ways that we're connected to each other, that what we're seeing is a genuine sense of loneliness. Um, that what this, this has happened right now, again, this, this downshift that's occurred, it will give us a chance to kind of put all of this into perspective and recognize, you know, some of the fundamental things that we need as human beings, the contact with each other, the connection to each other, and that that can serve to kind of balance out all of the, the modern and futuristic things that are coming at us, you know, with technology. Um, because if not, uh, I don't see very good things in store for us at all. I mean, you know, once we stop feeling connected to each other, not o- only do we suffer individually, but we certainly suffer, you know, as a country, we suffer as a world. Um, we stop caring about each other. You know, we stop mattering. Um, and I, that certainly can lead to nothing good. Do you... I have to think of how I want to phrase this. That's why I never do questions ahead of time. Things just come up. <laughs> I don't know how to do that stuff. I'm like, I just got to go with it. But do you think you would struggle with what you hope for and what may become realistic? Like, you know, people, I love people. I mean, my life is I enjoy helping people and stuff, but I'm also very realistic about the nature of people sometimes too. And mm-hmm. that there'll be, there will be people. And groups of people who will come, this will be a life altering, forever changing moment. But I also believe on the other side, there'll be ugliness from this too. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I, shrug, I struggle with that. You know, like for me, maybe I'm projecting myself on you, but uh, do, do, you, do you think that you might struggle with that potentially? Like what you hope for versus what may happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always sort of. Uh, I I I hope that I'm I'm this optimist slash realist, mm-hmm. um, you know, with with how I view things. Um, here's the thing that that I think kind of keeps me going with all of this, and that is, you know, that goes back to my work with attachment, right, and kind of knowing how the mm-hmm. brain develops and what what the brain needs and what humans need to th- not only survive but thrive. And that is, again, that sense of connection. And so when you take a look at people and even people who are very pessimistic or people who are, um, you know, seemingly very detached, I think when you get underneath all of that, you know, they're, they're needing that connection with other people just as much as everyone else is. They're just not believing it exists or they've shut themselves off to it. So I do think that because we are fundamentally hardwired to connect and to be cooperative with each other, that kind of by default, we will always um, in some way, shape, or form circle back to that. And we, we can't just completely let that go. I, I don't see how we could continue to even survive as a species if that no longer existed. I mean, it's, it's how we've survived things from an evolutionary perspective because we've been connected to each other and because we've needed to be cooperative with each other. And so, you know, without those kind of basic principles, we can't continue to move forward, um, you know, certainly not long term in any way that's going to continue to allow, um, you know, human beings to evolve and to continue to exist. So I think with any ugliness, and certainly there will be ugliness that comes out of it. I mean, we've already seen some ugliness as a result of, you know, uh, this going on. 
Um, I do think that at the end of the day, um, the things that make us human and the things that have allowed us to evolve as human beings are always going to be there. And we'll always find a way back to them in some way, shape or form, because, you know, I mean, throughout history, we always have. (laughs) And um, so I try to hold on to that. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. I definitely I'm always I'm pretty optimistic about things and I I definitely I enjoy helping people who definitely are not doing well a lot. I mean I've been told that all the time. Like I just enjoy kind of maybe it's a challenge or maybe it's just I I feel a responsibility from having a very good life to help provide that to others who may not have had that. But then like I was like and I have these conversations with people, sometimes I struggle with the the difficulties with our, as a species, sometimes how nasty we can be with each other, you know, mm-hmm. and how, and, and how, like you think, well, why would people do that? You know, like people are, are down and out. They're not maybe financially struggling and stuff. And then you see worse behavior from others taking advantage of that. Like, it was crazy. Like the scammers are going nuts right now. They're all, oh, there's people yes. are scamming hard right now. And I think, why yes. would you, part of me is like, why would you, what would make you do that in your mind? We're all suffering on some level for this. Why do that? That's what I struggle with when you have something so large where we're going through and then people still exhibit a behavior that seems so counterintuitive to what's happening to all humans at the same time. That bothers me. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's one of those scenarios where you take a look at people and you go, that, that's what happens when whatever has occurred in their life, um, when they, when we stop mattering to each other, right? When somebody who is going through a hard time, instead of showing compassion um, and empathy, we look at, we see opportunity, um, and and we're not looking at them in a connected way, right? We're looking at them as a means to an end. Um, and, and that's what we're talking about when we're saying we're not connected to each other. If I feel connected to you just in terms of a sense, in the sense that you're another human being and therefore, um, you know, I, I wish you well and I wouldn't want to hurt you and all those that that's because there's a fundamental sense of connection that I have with myself and that I've, that has been fostered in me to be able to have with other human beings. And when I don't have that, when I haven't gotten that for whatever reason, you can see how um, not only you know negative and nasty it is, but how genuinely dangerous that becomes because right. you simply don't matter. You know, my my hurting you in any way, shape, or form, whether that's financially or emotionally or physically, doesn't bother me because I'm not even viewing you. I I, I have no space to uh, to empathize with you to understand what you're feeling, to take your feelings even into account. Uh, and that becomes, you know, a, a real issue. Well, you're saying, I mean, let me know if I'm wrong, but is in your, in your opinion or educational point of view, that is primarily based off of a trauma that has occurred a long time ago or, or what do you think that is? I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, but again, fundamentally, you know, our brain develops through that early attachment experience, right? The first uh, uh, relatable experience we have with our primary caretaker, usually mom and dad, um, that literally develops um, parts of our brain 
that um, only get developed or primarily get developed through that relationship. And it's parts of our brain that develop into things like empathy and develop into things like affect regulation. Um, And uh, if they are not developed appropriately, if we don't have enough of that, and we know how many children are abused in this country and neglected and, you know, go through all this interpersonal trauma. And it's not to say that all of those kids are going to grow up, you know, not exhibiting things like empathy. The, The opposite of that is true because hopefully somewhere along the line, there is somebody in their life that matters and that takes care of them. And what we know now is those parts of the brain are never... Um, it's never too late to get them wired correctly. Um, truly, the only time that you cannot wire those parts of the, gra- the brain correctly is when you're dealing with somebody who is uh, labeled as a psychopath, hmm. right? They literally lack that connectivity in those parts of the brain. Is that um, born though? Or, are there you know, people again, who are born like that? You know, there is a lot of debate regarding those things. Um, It would kind of be hard to say that people are born that way because we're kind of all born that way in terms of, again, the wiring is there in the brain, but the connectivity in those brain connections doesn't exist. And it has to build based off of our environmental experience. And so you can see where there's early any kind of deprivation or abuse that occurs, it interferes with that wiring. Um, and so there certainly are the people who have had such severe uh, neglect or abuse that, um, you know, that, that wiring has never come to be. And then there's also people that, you know, you can go through various head trauma where there's damage to that part of the brain. Um, they're also looking at genetic underpinnings to those things. So I don't think it's as clear cut as we would like or hope it to be. Um, but we certainly can say one of the the most important thing, in my opinion, the most important thing in terms of overall brain development and both psychological and physical health is that first relationship in our life. It really does set the template. Um, and those of us who get it uh, are going to fare you know, very well through life's uh, traumas and the storms throughout life. And those of us who don't, will struggle indefinitely until hopefully we have someone or something that comes into our life that is able to uh, make up for uh, that which we didn't get when we first needed it. So if we know that that's, I mean, I totally agree with that. I've, I've been saying this a long time, but it's really the genesis of the beginning of your life, the people who take care of you. And if we know how important that is, do you think that there's been enough emphasis on creating a better situation in that beginning of life for people? Because there's a lot of people, you know, they just, they're not getting that. They're just born into violence and to emotional and yes. physical abuse. Yep. And yep. how do we put more into that? Because that seems to be a large part of it, you know? You know, uh, here's where I have a hard time not getting on my soapbox and um, not saying, do we have another three days, you know, to talk about this or at least the beginning of this, because it it is very much, you know, true. And and when I first got into, when I first learned about attachment, um, you know, some 20 some years ago, and there was a lot of research that was coming online because we were starting to learn a lot more about the brain. 
know, stuff that we had never realized before because we didn't have, you know, MRI images and all these things that really kind of um, allowed something called affective neuroscience to develop, which was basically, um, you know, the science of emotion and this whole idea of attachment and connection. And I remember because I had worked a lot early on with um, abused children and had kind of understood it from an attachment perspective. And I remember thinking, you know, wow, we are going to create such amazing change because now it's like we have the golden ticket. Like now we understand like what we need to do and what needs to happen. And so like, you know, as, as a young professional, you think, well, let's just go change the world. Like, let's just go make this happen now. And um, I think I may have even shared this with you last time that when I started out, we knew it was about 50-50. It's based on what you look at, it's 50-50, 60-40 in terms of who's, in, who's securely attached, who gets enough of that, and who doesn't, right? So, you know, you take a look at it and you go, okay, half the people do and half the people don't. And so starting out 20 some years ago, I thought, okay, great. Well, then we'll just make sure everybody now gets securely attached because we know how to do it and we know why it's important in all of this. And then some 20 plus years later, as I've kind of stepped away from my clinical role a bit more and have, you know, are doing some writing and some other things. So I'm looking at the research again more heavily. Um, the statistics remain the same, right? We're still looking at about half of the people securely attached and half of the people who are insecurely attached. And so we still have a long way to go because again, in 20 plus years, we have a lot more information. And what we recognize is that, you know, it generally takes about 50 years for things to really kind of catch on wow. and start to make a change. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is Bowlby kind of came out with all of this and started doing his writing um, in uh, about the, the, the late sixties, the early seventies. And so we're kind of approaching 50 years, uh, you know, since, since his, uh, work kind of came out and became well known. And so I'm hoping that if, again, we get enough voices out there, um, and I'm trying to lend mine now that we do start to see more of a shift with all of this. And we have started to see things like you hear ACEs pop out, uh, pop up a lot. Um, we're starting to hear things like trauma-informed schools. And so we are starting to recognize that this idea of trauma, especially this early developmental trauma, impacts way more kids than we ever gave it credit for, and that it causes you know, a lot of issues, a lot of issues with learning, a lot of issues with just um, you know, kids developing the way that they um, deserve to develop. And so I'm hoping that we're starting to put more spotlights on all of this. We are starting to roll out more change, um, but we certainly need as you know, many voices as we possibly can to educate people and to support people through it. Because I have conversations with a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of friends and other colleagues, and uh, we talk about these things and sometimes they may share things that are going on with their kids or, you know, family, friends, whoever it may be. And we kind of put it into this context and we start to talk about attachment. And I still hear a lot from people like, wow, I, I never, I never knew that. Like I've never even heard of attachment before. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things that kind of lets me know, okay, there's still a lot of work to be done here. And we, we need to get the information out there and we need to educate people and we need to support people in ways that can allow um, for all of these really positive things to occur that we need to occur if, you know, we are going to make these fundamental shifts and 
help our kids um, help our kids become, you know, healthy, productive adults. What do you think can be done on a like a large, let's let's say, governmental, federal type level to facilitate that, um, um, if if anything. Yeah, I think um, that's something that I've given sort of a lot of thought to because I think that we've we've given a lot of uh, attention to things like Head Start programs and you know trying to get kids into these um, early educational programs so that they can you know, uh, be on an even playing field when everybody gets to school. There's, there's a lot of emphasis on education and I won't even sort of go on that offshoot in terms of, you know, where I think that sort of plays into everything because there's so much more to early child development besides, um, you know, uh, talking and walking and, you know, all of those things. And we check those boxes for those early milestones. Um, and what we know is that again, most kids are going to get there. And, you know, most kids, unless there's something severely wrong, um, they're going to learn how to read and, you know, they're going to do all these things that, again, there's all this pressure to accomplish. And where we don't place enough emphasis, though we're starting to, I think, uh, put some of this into effect, is what do the quality of relationships look like for that child? You know, what what are what's that parent child dynamic looking like and not in terms of is the parent just changing the diaper or feeding them appropriately but are they connected to them right are they attuned to them and are they able to help them navigate through these different emotional experiences that they're going through can they contain them you know can they be supportive of them because all of that is what wires the brain to be able to effectively do it on its own uh, you know, down the road. And so um, I think we need to start to place more emphasis on um, child care in terms of relational care between caretaker and child, um, and also do things to support, uh, you know, people being able to have healthy pregnancies and being able to uh, support their children uh, in, you know, financially and be able to, we, we don't, place a lot of emphasis on that, you know, the early importance of families being with their children early on. Um, And I don't even think that's just a governmental issue. I think that's a societal issue because I think that it all depends on where you also place, you know, your values on things. I think that, um, you know, I talk to parents a lot when they say, I don't have time to be with my kids. I don't, you know, I have to work 80 hours. I have to do whatever. And there truly are people who are just trying to put food on the table and have really uh, major constraints around that. And I think we need to support those people um, in terms of helping them manage their stress and take good care of themselves so that they can then connect with their children um, and make sure that, you know, their children are well taken care of when they can't be around. But there's also a percentage of people who we live in this very, you know, materialistic society and everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so they may be working the way that they're working because they want the bigger house and they want the nicer car, or they want whatever it may be. And they are sacrificing, um, taking care of themselves. They're sacrificing their time with their children and with their spouses and all of that. And so when you kind of take a look and you talk with them about it and, you know, you recognize that you, everybody wants it, you know, I shouldn't say everybody, but most people you talk to, they want it. I want more time with my spouse. I want more time with my kids. I want to feel connected. I want to enjoy them. 
um, and they're not living their life in a way that's conducive to that. And again, when you talk about, um, you know, do you need, do you need that five thousand square foot house to live in? Mm-hmm. You know, there's three of you, or you know, do you need to drive the hundred thousand dollar car? Um, when you kind of help prioritize things um, and help them understand why maybe that has taken a priority over time with their family, um, they can really start to make some fundamental shifts in their life and, uh, you know, ultimately feel a lot happier and a lot more connected with each other. Always well said, Dora. Seriously, you always have a very good sense of self and uh, your advice is always amazing and I I was pumped to have you back on. I was like, it's going to be good because this was very good last time. I know it's going to be good again. And that's kind of the beauty of having people on again sometimes is like as their life changes or if thing changes, things change in the environment, which yeah. has happened. You're going to get a right. different perspective because of what's happening, <laughs> you know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very I appreciate it. I always... Thank you. I always very much enjoy talking to you too. It's always a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, you stay safe and be well, and uh, we will definitely be chatting again soon. Sounds good to me. You take care All as right. well. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. Gorgeous gaming, stunning streams, unbelievable bandwidth. It's another Lifestyles of Gagillionaires. Meet the AT&T Fiber customers winning at life with hyper gig speeds. Meet Gagillionaire Terry. While his love of streaming horror movies has him constantly on the edge of his seat, his internet bill won't give him a scare. Oh, don't go in there. I'm telling you. Because since Terry upgraded to AT&T Fiber with hyper gig speeds, he doesn't worry about data caps or equipment fees. Come on, man. The door's open for a reason. And best yet, he also doesn't stress about a price increase at 12 months. Because with the amazing Gagillionaire lifestyle comes an exquisite sense of tranquility. Most of the time. Live like a gagillionaire. Get straightforward pricing with AT&T Fiber. Internet that upgrades everything. No data caps, no equipment fees, and no price increase in 12 months. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.